help us tonight. Father, we thank you that you love us and you constantly watch over us as we just sang. You shepherd our hearts. You know us in the darkest hours that we go through. You know us in our extreme joy. You, you have our plan of life laid out in front of you, Lord. Uh, so, God, I pray that as we look at a passage of a young man um, doubtlessly questioning and trying to figure out what you're doing with him, uh, I pray that we would learn, as Joseph did, to trust you when we can't see, to walk with you when the path is not clear. So thank you for passages like this. The Bible is full of these type of texts that encourage us in dark hours. And may we be strengthened. May we be strengthened to help someone else who's maybe in a difficult time. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd entitle the sermon, Waiting for God in the Darkness. Waiting for God in the Darkness. Um, uh, the title just kind of hit me as I was finishing this today. Uh, Thinking about the times where it's very difficult to see what God is doing. How do we navigate through those times? How do we keep pressing on? How do we do that? And this text and the following text will help us. My mind, as I was thinking about this, thought of so many passages in the Scriptures that the Bible writes on this subject. Over and over we find passages for us to trust God during difficult times, um, both Old Testament and New Testament. But I want to take you to a psalm, Psalms 56. And turn there. This is a psalm that ministered to me years ago. In fact, I had one of my older Bibles out and I looked it up because I remembered it and wanted to see what I wrote in it. And I actually wrote the name of the person and the date that he encouraged my heart with this psalm. Uh, as we were going through dark times in ministry, uh, trying to find out what God was doing. But the Psalm 56 is written in this time where David is fleeing still from Saul. And what's so dark about this is he flees to his enemies. The only way he could find relief from the people who supposedly were supposed to be on his side was he had to run to his enemies. Now, I don't know how dark your life has been at times, but I don't know that you've ever ran to your enemies. That's the setting here. He goes into Gath, where the Philistines are, and there hides out among them and, and plays along with them and even does raids with them and so forth. But this is where the psalm comes out. Listen to this. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. I mean, everything he has. Saul's after, he's using all the resources of Israel to chase him down. This is a dark time, and he's running with the promise that he's supposed to be king. It, there's nothing in the future or on the horizon that looks like he's going to be king. So think about that. We all have promises of God that we hold to and sometimes we can't see them. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose words I praise, in God I have put my trust. You can see where all of a sudden he turns, right? To strengthen him. He strengthens himself with truth. I shall not be afraid. What can mere, or some of your Bibles might say, mortal man do to me? All day long they distort my words. Anybody had that happen to you? 
and their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of the wickedness, cast them forth in anger, put down the peoples, O God. Heard of a precatory psalm, that's the nature of this, right? Verse 8. And this is the section in here that was in one of my older Bibles where I wrote the person's name and the time, the passage they gave to me. This is it. You have taken account of my wanderings. God knows where you wander. Look at this. Put my tears in your bottle. Are, not they, are, are they not in your book? He's keeping track of our struggles, isn't he? Not, not in a sinful way. Here he's watching over us, even in our wanderings, even in our difficult times. Verse 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And then he finishes up, your vows are binding upon me, O God. I render thank, a thank offering to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before the Lord in the light of the living. What a psalm. So that's the, the setting, when you think about the setting that is in. And so um, this led me to the title of this message of waiting for God in the darkness. And I don't mean darkness of sin. Uh, if you're in sin, you need to repent. <laughs> that's just real clear, right? Don't you need to turn from sin and leave sin. But there are dark times spiritually. We walk through some spiritual depression at times. We walk through spiritually dark times. And I think we see that as we look at David's, um, excuse me, Joseph's life as well. Back to, back to Genesis chapter 20. I wanted to kind of catch up from where we were last time. It's been uh, six weeks or seven weeks since we've been back in Joseph, uh, spending time with Joseph in Genesis. But number one, doing time with Yahweh. We finished this point last time at the end of verse, uh, chapter 39, uh, verses 19 through 23 here. But you remember what happens here. Mrs. Potiphar attempted to uh, seduce um, Joseph here and and uh, she screamed and yelled and made a big fuss. And, and of course, Pharaoh's um, right-hand man, who's Potiphar, he's a, he's a powerful eunuch in Pharaoh's kingdom. Um, he comes in, and, and it's interesting, we talked about this. It, it seems that he, in all intents and purposes, should have executed Joseph for this. Hands down, this was an executable offense, but he doesn't. So we talked about this, we thought, well... He may have known his wife, and I don't doubt that this was probably uh, not the first time this has happened. And so what Potiphar does, instead of executing him, he does the next best possible thing, punishment. He puts him in prison, probably a prison that he oversaw. So in a way, God used Potiphar in this very difficult time, this false accusation time, to protect Joseph. But nonetheless, Joseph's back into a hole right where he started with his, with his brothers, Right? The prison was, was um, a more, probably more, I would imagine, more of a political prison where they would put white-collar crime and, and stuff that was going on within the kingdom that was waiting trial or some forth. Um, but nonetheless, it is a prison. And we marked at the end of this that in verse 21, notice in the previous chapter, verse 39 here, and in verse 23, in fact, four times in this preceding text, but here right at the end, 
The Bible says, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. And then verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. And so here once again reminded that God never leaves his people, even in the most darkest times, even the most unfair times. You cannot think of a more unfair situation than when Joseph's going through, and yet God is allowing it to take place. There are unfair things that are happening in our life, and we don't like them, do we? But God sovereignly allows these things to take place. And so here he is, put away in prison. I think men like Joseph we enjoy reading so often is because it seems in life they're getting fewer and fewer. Ian Bounds said this about the church. Uh, A great theologian died in 1913. He said, the church is always looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Isn't that true? I thought about this week, and you know, in staff meeting, we're always working on how to prepare and do things well here and preach the word well and sing well and care for our people and do all the things that God asks us to do. Um, but we were reminded as we looked in the scriptures and as we study, God is not interested in our methodology all the time. We're always trying to find the next church growth method. Not us, but the churches often. And I think there's such danger there. God's looking for the next men. He's looking for the next Josephs. And the Hannahs and the Mary Magdalene's. And the Davids. Who will walk with God in difficult times. Who are not succumb to sin that will take them away from the will of God. And so as we work, continue our work our way through Joseph's life, one of the questions I think we have to ask ourselves, are we these kind of people? When things go awry, they don't go as we planned. Are we one who looks to God and will trust him when we cannot see? Is he still God in the darkness? So Joseph fled from sin. I think other men flee into sin. We see that often uh, where we watch men who are tempted by sin. They turn and run from it as Joseph. And there's others who don't know what to do with life. It's dark. They're frustrated with finances. They're frustrated with relationships. And they run into sin. There's such a difference in that. And I, I know you've seen the emphasis that we've put on discipleship and getting people into DTPs and growing Christ and uh, partners and so forth because if, if men, if we don't lead, it will, will get very dark. <laughs> and so I love Joseph. The more I study him, it's so fun to get back into him this week. I've been away from uh, Genesis for a while. Um, what a joy to be reminder. Lord, help me flee from sin, not into it. So remember, the gospel or your flesh dictates your behavior. Now, number two. Trials often include waiting on God. Trials often include waiting on God. Our trials often can be long. Sometimes you are, you're, not, you're not given um, the promise that I'm going to take you through a half-day trial. <laughs> Sometimes they're long. In some cases, they're lifelong. 
Um, and though our life is short compared to eternity, as humans, I want you to think about this, as humans, they seem very long, don't they? Often I tell the Lord, I am but flesh, Lord. <laughs> I am but dust. Give me strength. So our trials are often long and they seem endless at times. And I want you to think about Joseph here. Joseph is 17 when he's sold by his brothers back in Canaan in chapter 37, verse 2. And he's 30 by the time Pharaoh makes him second in command in 41, 46 that we'll see next week. So some 13 years has transpired from being kidnapped, travel, slave sale, climbing up the ladder of authority of a Potiphar's home, being arrested and imprisoned as a rapist or a potential rapist, and, and then finally promoted to second in command, 13 years. And part of it, you're doing time in a hole. It may be a nicer hole than some of the other places, but um, regardless, I don't think prison in this ancient world at any level was pleasant. So we, we see this. Um, and the only firm timeline when you look at this, I was trying to figure out how many years this was, and I could only get it down to 13, but there's only one timeline that we see real clear in chapter 41, verse 1. It says at the end of two full years. So after he gives the dreams, we're going to see that here just in a moment, there's a whole nother two years. After he interprets the men's dreams, there's a whole nother two years. of He obeyed God. He gave the interpretation. He gave God's word. He waited for another two years before he comes out of the hole. So trials often include waiting on God. And each of these events took time to develop. And the point here is God's timing is not ours. Waiting on the Lord, his perfect timing is difficult. I, I thought, okay, just as Joseph, this is a male. It's easy to see this. I think us men could get our minds around it. So my mind thought, well, what, where was there a woman who went through a trying time? Because I want to look at that because I think all of us can learn from that. How about going to 1 Samuel chapter 1 with me for just a moment? 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is the story of Hannah. And there's a phrase in here I want to get to to help understand the waiting on the Lord that this woman went through. Verse 2, the Bible tells us that Elkanah had two wives. Hannah was one, Penelope was the other. Penel had children. Hannah had no children. Verse 3, now this man would, would go up to the, from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penea, um, his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give double portions for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Now, not hard to remember in the ancient world, that's a mark that God has taken something from you. You're not blessed by God. It was a very difficult mark to be barren in that day. Verse seven, now look at this. I want you to understand the timing of this. It happened year after year. That tells you time frame, right? It's long. This is going on a long time. This other wives having children. Uh, we kind of saw that with Jacob's wives as well. Um, and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her 
So the other wife would provoke her so as she wept and would not eat. <laughs> and of course, Elkanah, her husband, tried to encourage her um, and, and said, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? That's a man thing right there. <laughs> Quite a bit of insensitivity on that. <laughs> Honey, you're in a whole different category. Can't you see what's going on? Men not being students of their wives, 1 Peter 3, 7. Then Hannah rose, verse 9, after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat at the, by the doorpost in the temple of the Lord, and she was greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. You can see this happen. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction of your maidservant, remember me, and not forget your maidservants, but will give your maidservants a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not come over his head. This is a Nazarite vow that's going to come in time, um, but here it is. Verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only moving her lips. We do this, right? Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. Of course, she goes down. He rebukes her. He says, how long will you make yourself drunk? In verse 14, put away your wine from you. Some things never change, do they? Right? Right? Now, why does he even think that? Because there's a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's, why would he even think that of a woman? Because doubtlessly, many of the nation doesn't worship God from their heart. They go, and it's a big party to go up and sacrifice, and they actually get drunk and, and act lawless. And so Eli's responding to this. But Hannah says, oh, no, my Lord, verse 15, I am a woman oppressed in spirit, I have drank neither wine nor strong drink. Both are around, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. And so she goes on and said, and I, and I love that story, um, and I wanted to bring that to the surface t- today, is because day, year after year, year after year, she's oppressed by not having a child and by this other woman. And, and yet she turns to the Lord, and you can just see the preciousness of Hannah there, um, weeping somewhere close to the temple while all the offerings are going on and the feasts are going on and all those things are going on she is weeping before the lord in this dark time and she turns to the lord and 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 it's interesting not even her husband at this point can console her i wish he would i think he should i believe he should new testament men should be men who should see their wives weeping and going through struggles and be there to help them and walk them through it But she's alone. She's waiting on God in the darkness. And she runs to him. And and, and this is what we see over and over in the scriptures. Let me just give you some more verses. David, Psalm 6, 2 through 4. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. And my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. David, again in Psalms chapter 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long shall I take counsel to in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the days? And each of these psalms, to be fair, if you go down through them, they all turn to the greatness and glory of God. Asap, the worship leader of Israel, wrote in Psalm 79, verse 5 and 6, 79, verse 5 and 6, How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. He could feel the wrath of God, and he felt it upon him, like it was maybe upon him. And sometimes we think God is angry with us. Psalms 89, we don't know the author here, but he says this, How long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? Sometimes we feel God is not with us. So waiting on God is not only part of the trial, but it is the key in the trial. And I want to encourage you today that we have to trust him in his timing. And it's easy to say that. We probably could you know, put our arm around somebody who's going through suffering. Just trust God in the timing, <laughs> isn't it? It's easy as it comes out of our mouth. But when you're in the trial and it's dark and you can't see the end, truth has to prevail. Truth has to prevail. You will end up walking around in the dark for a very, very long time if you don't find the light of truth. And that's what we see these men and women of the scriptures that are recorded for us to give us encouragement do. Now, back to Genesis 40. We'll get going here with us. Verse, verse 1, Then it came about after these things. That's, that's when Joseph... Uh, was thrown in the prison. Um, verse 23, though, he, over time, wins the favor of the supervisor over the, the prison, and Joseph's given charge over the prison. So that's what that's talking about in verse 1. So it came about after these things, him becoming the one now who's running the prison. The cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord and the, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer uh, cup and the chief baker. Now, here we begin to realize something's happened at the top level, right? Notice the two words, offended and furious. One is in verse one, the other one is in two. When the leader of the known world is furious with you, because that's what Egypt would have been. There was nothing like Egypt in all the world. He's offended by you, he's furious, uh, that's not a good thing. These men are in trouble. They're called the chief cupbearer, the chief baker. The word chief in the Hebrew is sar. You may have ever watched a Disney and sar of something or whatever. Um, that just means he's a ruler of some sort. So he, he was a ruler, an official, a captain, even used of a prince in that area. So the chief cupbearer was... Truly one of the closest, think about this, the closest confidants to the king. His job literally was protecting the king from being killed. You go, well, he's a cupbearer, he's handing it. That, that's, that's his title. But anybody could try to poison him, so he's the closest to the king. His job is to protect that king, that family, and that court. This is a very important man in the life of the pharaoh. Chief Baker would have been the ruler over all the food that was made for the kingdom. 
especially for the palace, he would have hundreds of people under his authority, and both men would have had easy opportunity to do harm to the king and his family. They would have been in right spots to, to get rid of him. So doubtlessly, and this is a narrative, we don't know all that would happen here, and these are my thoughts here, there's some kind of plot that was going on. Somebody was trying to kill the king, and the king's throwing people in prison until he can figure it out. That's what I think is happening here. There, in some way, have offended this Pharaoh, and he's angry. Doubtlessly, Pharaoh sniffed out this plot. Now, verses 3 and 4, look with me. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail in the same place where Joseph was in prison. And the captain of the bodyguard, this is the guy that's given Joseph everything, put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them. Hmm. And they were in confinement for some time. Now, isn't that interesting? Maybe their imprisonment was a precaution. Maybe Pharaoh was looking into, there's an investigation going on to the real guys. But regardless of that, look who's there waiting for them while he's in a deep, dark trial. He's waiting. He's in a place to take care of these people. Notice the Bible says in verse 4 there, and he took care of them. Now, I certainly you know, maybe got them in their shackles and gave them their place they're going to sleep and all of that. But the whole idea is Joseph's there. God's man is on the job. He's there. He's going through darkness. He's, he's been promised that, that even his own family will bow down before him. He's been given these visions and dreams by God. God has interpreted those things to him. He knows God has something for him. And now he's in a hole. And in the middle of that difficult trial, he is already serving other people. That really struck me today. When we go through sickness, I tell Gino, when most men are, are sick, we're dead. <laughs> it's all over. Start digging the hole. Honey, you have a cold. I know, but it's over. We're worthless, aren't we, guys? I see they're all laughing. Women are nodding their head. This man has been sold by his own family members, kidnapped, sold on a slave block, worked his way up in Potiphar's home, accused as a rapist. I mean, imagine that. Then thrown back into jail again and forgotten about. And the first thing we see him doing in jail is serving others. Man, it hit me this week. I thought, Lord, when I go through trials, do I look to serve or do I look to whine? Point number three, serve the Lord while you're waiting on him. Serve the Lord while you're waiting on him. Serving the Lord is not always something you do. I want you to think about this. I think sometimes the church says, hey, we need people with help in children's ministry, which we do. <laughs> we need choir members. We, we need help with vacation Bible school. You know, we, uh, we need greeters. You know, I think you hear that sometimes, and, and you react. And so many of you are serving in such wonderful ways. But serving the Lord is not always doing something. Serving the Lord is being available for him. Some of the greatest servants we have in this church, you don't see them often doing something until some great thing happens and you're at the, somebody's house who has passed away or something's going difficult and there's a person there upholding people that you would have never known was going on. They're available. Being available to God while you go through suffering changes your outlook. And so you must realize that 
Lord, can I even get to a point where I'm available? Am I available right now? Where I'm at, in the place you're at, in the struggle you're going through, whatever it is, there's a, there's every, for every person in here, there's a different struggle probably that we're going through. For the place where we are at right now, in, in what's going on in my life, am I available at this moment if God called me to serve in some way? Man, that's a tough question, I know. Getting hot in here yet? Because, see, when we get in those dark places, all I can see is me. I, I can't see you because I'm just me. It's all about me here. So I, I can't see very far. And one of the things I love about Joseph is it's not fair what's happening to him, and he's immediately just serving people. He could have went in the prison and said, hey, I really, this guy says, hey, you're a pretty good guy. I see you're using your hands a lot. You're really involved here. Why don't you take over? He goes, I don't want to. What are you going to do? Throw me in prison? He just has this natural tendency to, to serve and to, to do something. You know, he knows God has a plan. It's dark. I can't see where it's going right now, but I'm, but I'm available. I am available. It's a good question to ask. Verse 5 through 8. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king, king of Egypt who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came in in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Hebrew word means enraged. It has several meanings to it, but anywhere from enraged to haggard looking. This has really stressed them, right? He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with them in the confinement, so it tells us that he's in the prison with them, in, the, in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, we have had a dream and there was no one to interpret it. They're probably used to um, magicians and so forth in Pharaoh's house giving some kind of worldly interpretation. They don't have anybody. Then Joseph said to him, look at this, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. So during what seems to be this short time of period, the Bible says some time, some time went by, these two chiefs have these dreams. They're disturbing to him. Notice Joseph, he's alert, he's watching, he's, he's looking at people, he knows their countenance down, he sees something unique about them. Have you ever seen somebody where you say, that person's going through something difficult, I can see it. Joseph notices that. He has a pastoral heart, he has a loving heart, he notices that countenance. And notice the confidence that he has in Yahweh in verse 8. I mean, the statement is just, do, do not interpretations belong to God? You guys know that, right? <laughs> He's just telling you, uh, yeah, well, we believe in lots of gods, the sun god, a frog god, I mean, all kinds of gods. What god are you talking about? He's talking about Yahweh. He just comes out and says, don't you know? Interpretations belong to God. Tell me, please. God's not going to hide this stuff from us. And so he says, tell me your dreams. And uh, Joseph never <laughs> stops serving the Lord here. He's He's waiting on God to work things out, but he's, he's involved with people. Remember, God spoke to Joseph through dreams. He believed that, that God had a plan. He was confident that God possibly, and maybe even he already knows the interpretation of his own dreams, but he's confident here that God does not hide his word from people. And remember, we're in Genesis here, there's not even the Pentateuch written at this point. There's no word of God written down for them, so God is speaking in um, unusual ways, dreams and visions and so forth. And that happens till his son arrives and the scriptures get completed. Now, this happened, this type of attitude happens, you go, well, Joseph's just unique, there's no one like him. Go to Acts 16 with me. 
Because I thought that too. I said, who's like Joseph? This guy, he's, you know, he's, he's amazing. But we have a couple other guys doing similar things. Acts chapter 9, you're on your way to 16. Acts chapter 9, Paul, then Saul, is knocked off his steed on his way to Damascus to imprison Christians and do whatever he can do to destroy the church. There he is awakened to Christ. Christ illuminates him, shows himself to him. Um, he, his, he gives him faith to believe. Um, Ananias is scared of him, and the statement is made. He, this is God talking about Paul. He is my chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And then it goes on to say, but he must suffer incredibly. It's God's plan for, for Paul. But look at Acts chapter 16. This is a beautiful passage. This is the birth of the, uh, probably the birth of the Philippian church. Um, Lydia is saved. She's converted in verse 14. And Paul's preaching the gospel. And this devout woman, devout woman of God gets saved. So her faith was in God and in religion and things like that. But she didn't know Christ, so she gets saved. But then this crowd breaks loose, right? And... And there's, there's these chief magistrates in verse 22. They can't take this anymore. And the confusion that he's bringing is teaching because he has taken this little girl who was following him and barking out things uh, about him. Uh, and it was demonic and he, he, he stopped it and cast the demon out and these people lost money. And so they break out this big uh, mob against uh, Apostle Paul and Silas. Verse 23, and when they had struck them with blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. This is even worse than Joseph. Joseph seemed to have some free reign within the prison. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. It's interesting. I've been in a lot of earthquakes. You guys haven't, but I have. <laughs> this, this is supernatural. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped because that's the death of a Roman soldier who loses his prisoners. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. He is ready, he is watching, he is available in a difficult trial to do something for God. Isn't that amazing? And he cries out, we are all here. I'm thinking, how do you know? It's dark. <laughs> he just, godly men know these things and, and do not harm yourself, we're all here. And for he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He realized he takes them home. The whole family is saved. They're baptized. And the birth of the Philippi church happens. Here, in another situation that seems so dark, but he's holding on to promises. You are going to represent me before Gentiles and Jews and kings, and, and you're going to do that. And he knew, even though in that dark trial, I can't see how this is all going to work out. They're going to kill me tomorrow if something doesn't happen. He puts his faith in a God who lets him serve while he waits on him. Four, forgotten by man, but remembered 
by God. Look at back, turn back to Genesis chapter 40. We'll pick up the story in verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there, were, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine there were three branches. And as it was budding, in bloss- and its blossoms came out, and clusters produced ripe, ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed it into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it, the three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. So the cupbearer here goes first, and here, this is my thoughts here, because there's a narrative here. I think the cupbearer goes first because I think he's the innocent one. <laughs> he's caught up in... Pharaoh probably swept through and said, let's get all these guys because somebody's behind this plot and he ends up there. So I think probably the cupbearer speaks first because he may not be guilty. And he, and he has seen in his dream this vine with three branches and they're budding this beautiful fruit. And he, he personally is preparing grapes in the, in the juice of the grape for the Pharaoh and put it in his hand. And then I, would, I would think as I look at this, likely the cupbearer could probably see that part of the dream, but he couldn't understand what the three branches were. So Joseph just comes right in and says, look, the three branches are three days. And you're going to be restored to your office. And then look at verse 14. Only <laughs> keep me in mind. Now notice this little phrase in here. I'm in the NAS. Be your, some of you are in ESV and some others, but it should be in here and it should be close to this. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. What do you notice about that statement? No doubt. He doesn't say if it goes well. <laughs> hey, if my dream, you know, hits the target there, I'm 50 you know, 50 on this thing. Remember me. No, no. Joseph has complete confidence that God has given him his understanding of his word. And so he said, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this hole. (laughs) Get me out of this prison, this house. So Joseph reminds his cupbearer that when all this comes true, don't forget me. And surely, uh, surely, right, the cupbearer, he's probably, I mean, just let's think humanly going, okay, this Hebrew slave accused rapist is giving me a definition of my dream, interpretation of my dream. Yeah, good, yeah. If that all happens, great, I'll tell him about you. I would imagine something like that probably took place. Next customer, verse 15. He says, for I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. That's his plea, Right? Next guy, verse 16, when the chief baker saw that he had an interpretive favorably, right? Hmm. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked foods for the Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And then Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days... Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, very similar to the first language, and you will hang on a tree. That's different. And the birds will eat your flesh off you. Hmm. Now the chief baker, hearing this favorable interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, he now weighs in with his dream. I'm hoping that this Hebrew slave 
might have something good to say about me. He's been given this honor. Clearly, God has, his, his Hebrew God has blessed him. I think maybe we'll give a shot at this. And it's likely that the baker was probably part of that plot. This is my interpretation because he ends up losing his head over this and justice Susie reigns. Remember, there's all kinds of prison faith and foxhole prayers. They've been around for a long time. But true repentance comes, and we always look for repentance. And we don't see them in any of these guys, but, but that's what changes. That's the difference between a prisoner, and we have prisoners, and we know men, I've known men many years, that truly got saved in prison, who truly came to faith. It wasn't some prison faith and then changed something different when you got out. They really did. But it always marked by repentance. But with this favorable first interpretation, he kind of goes, well, what the heck, Let's, here's my dream. The baker gives the dream. And without hesitation, as you notice, Joseph quickly fires back the interpretation. And he says it's three days, just like the other guy. And so Pharaoh's going to come to an understanding. The investigation's going to come in. But he says, look, yeah, the cupbearer's going back, but only part of you is. And, and that's not going to be good. But it's interesting here. Was Joseph speaking God's word? I think he was. And, and, and the truth of God's word prevails all the time. And so, so as he speaks God's word, that's exactly what happens. Verse 20, thus it came about on the third day. There's the first part of it being true because it was from God, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into the Pharaoh's hand. But he hung the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted them. So Joseph had said the interpretation was God's, right? He says, don't you know God interprets these? I, I know this. It's an emphatic statement he makes. And thus making this interpretation is God's word. This is what God has revealed to me. And you and I have that right here. And so when we speak of certain things, we can be very confident. Joseph was confident and it exactly happened. One was restored, one was executed. And so we have the word of God and we have, a word, we have the Bible that says there's a one-way gospel in this. And what is the religions of the world and everybody saying more than ever right now, oh, God's a God of love. The Jesus of the Bible would never believe those things or teach those things. So there's a constant confusion. And yet there's a one-way gospel. Jesus himself says it's a narrow gate. Strive to enter it. There's no other way in. There's clear instruction on marriage, family, and gender. That's what God gives us. <laughs> and it always turns out to be true. And there, I don't know if you see it, I see it because I read a lot of articles and follow blogs that are going on and stuff in the ministry. And you cannot believe the push right now inside evangelical world to accept homosexual and gender problems and all that stuff on us. And they are marking churches as they go. And they're marking people who stand up for it. And yet God's word is absolutely crystal clear. The wages of sin is death. Satan said, surely you won't die, Eve. Doesn't the Bible say the wages of sin is death? Oh, surely God will let everyone in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11. i got to get close here. 
look at that passage real quick, just because this is just such a pressing thing right now on our churches and in our nation. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And I'm not after any particular group as I read this text because I think every one of us are in this text. Or do you not know, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not my words. Who are the unrighteous? Well, we'll find that out as we read along here. He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, so, fornicators is anybody taking something that God only reserved for marriage, acting in immoral ways. Idolaters, anybody who puts anything before God and bows the knee to it in some form or one, one way or another. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate. And that's an interesting one, the effeminate one here. Um, it's a passive, means a passive partner. So it means someone who passively goes into all kinds of sin. I think it's mainly the sin of homosexuality here. But the passive one, the one that doesn't fight against it, but just willingly goes into it. Nor homosexuals, nor thieves. Uh-oh. Nor the covet, covet, the coveture, right? Covetousness. That's a problem. <laughs> I think that got us all. It's the last command. It knocks everybody out. Nor drunkards, or revilers, or swindlers. will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. We'll inherit the kingdom of God. We'll not inherit. If this is you, without verse 11, because verse 11 is coming, don't thank the Lord, verse 11 is coming. This takes us all out. But notice this. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Washed by what? Blood of Christ. The atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes our past, present, and future sins away no matter what you've been engaged in. Some of you were washed. Some of you were sanctified. You were justified, declared righteous by God no matter what you were engaged in. Isn't this great news? (laughs) But I didn't make this list up. I would be in this list if it was not for the grace of God myself. Wouldn't we all? But that's not what's being taught today. See, God's word does not have authority with many evangelicals today. They go, oh, that's old-fashioned. That's not, that's not Jesus. But we're dealing with this. At, you, you can't believe the wave that's coming with this. But that's what the Bible says. And yet people will say, well, no, that's not true. Is God's word right or not? And that's what we have to stand on. And that's what Joseph did. I don't, do you think it was easy to say, Joseph, hey, you know, hey, uh, Baker, talking to you, Josh, you got three days and you're going to be hanging in a tree. Joseph's a kind young man. There's nothing we see of him in any way that he's mean or he's he's done anything but just show love for his family, love for those he works for, all of those things. I I know this is just a narrative, but I doubt that was an easy thing to tell the man. But he doesn't sell out on God's word. 
And you and I have to be loving and kind, but we have to tell people the wages of sin is death. But, don't forget the but. (laughs) The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be faithful to the word. And that's what Joseph did. And you're going, what's a dream? It was the word of God. How How would he know? God had to give him that. And so he's faithful to the word and exactly what the word said is what happened. And so I want to encourage you today, put your faith in the word of God, even when it's hard. Even when it's hard to wait on God in the darkness, you have to put your faith in God's word. Verse 23, back on our text. We'll end with this. And yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Didn't that hurt? I heard your groans out there. That just hurts. I mean, you can hear us. Lord, I took time off of work and I went all the way to the hospital to go see that person and they weren't even there. <laughs> I mean, whatever, Put, make a situation. This, this is way worse than anything I think we can come up with. The truth was spoken to both men. One received his life back, the other lost his life and the one who got life forgot about the servant of God. Hmm. I wrote my notes here, Scott. Are you willing to be forgotten in order to speak God's word? Hmm. Hard one. Church family, are you willing to be forgotten to speak God's word? Are you willing to speak the truth in a loving delivery and truly asking God to give you love for that person though the outcome is not what the person wants to hear. That's sharing the gospel. Because most people don't run up to you and say, hey, I'm on my way to hell. Can you tell me how to not go there? That, I don't know. Have anybody ever had that happen to you? It may, it may be somewhere, but most of the time you're engaging with them and they're going, hell, what? <laughs> I'm good. You're in the wrong part of town. Are you willing to speak the truth in a loving delivery though the outcome is not what the person wants to hear? And I think that's part of biblical counseling. We teach those who counsel others to be kind and loving and handle the scripture accurately. But if you come in for counseling and and, and you need to come in, don't don't come in. You have to say, I'm going to come face to face with God's word today. It's what I need. And so I'm going to receive it. And, and, and the word doesn't change upon the delivery of the person. Now I pray that our people lovingly, we care for each other and we're careful the way we say things in, in a loving way, but we do not cheat God's word because we know that's what I need and you need. And I'm thankful for men like Joseph who said, I've got to tell you something not looking good the wages of sin is death 
And so we have many promises to keep us going, brothers and sisters, when you feel forgotten. Because there's people in here right now that this is hitting. Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2, 23, somewhere in there, right? Kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. You might have to do that today. When people forget you or at least act like you don't exist or at least act like they don't remember you, God remembers you. You're never alone. Widows in here, widowers, those who maybe have strained relationships with adult children, you're not alone. I'll never, never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Psalms 139, I know when you lay down. I know when you get up. I'm watching you. I'm listening to you. I'm here for you. I'm always with you, even to the end of the age, he told his disciples. And then again in John 14, 3, said, where I am, you will be also. So we kind those two verses. He's always with us, and wherever he's going to be forever, we're going to be with him. He's always with us. And Peter tells us in his last letter that we are divine partakers of his nature. Well, what does that mean? That means the very nature of God, the very spirit of God has taken residence within us, and he is with us, even in the darkness. And so if you're going through darkness... Hold on to truth. Speak truth to yourself. If you have an opportunity to help somebody who is in darkness, lovingly, graciously speak the truth to them. Help them see by the word of God and through the spirit of God their sin. And walk with them through those dark times. God will bless that. Thanks, Joseph, huh? Good example. Father, thank you for this day. We're so grateful to be here. We thank for for just a few moments to be under your word in an in a inundated world out there of false truth and people who who just gone crazy, it seems like, and they're targeting people like us who just do love them and want to share the truth with them. But we won't cave, we won't compromise on the word of God and help us to do that very graciously and lovingly, but help us to do that, Lord. Let's be like Joseph. Here's what God's word says. Thank you, Lord, for this. Help this. May, they made this encourage many of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.